0: Thought about this uh, and realized that I'm I'm sort of on the you know over the hill and on the downhill um, side of things when it comes to uh, church ministry and my age and my knee. Thank you for those of you who've been praying for me about that. And I and I I thought if if this were my last message, this is the last time I ever got to stand in front of New Life Church. And tell them what I really cared about. Uh, you know what? It would be this message. So I don't, I'll drive carefully on the way home, and those sorts of things. But the reality is what the Scripture has said in Second Corinthians chapter five. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, is I think that central, and it's essentially this. That belief in the gospel changes your life, not just your final destination. Belief in the gospel reconciles you to God. Even the reading we started the service with suggested that, and it gives you a peace that you can't achieve another way. Faith in the gospel brings a victory that you can't win on your own. Faith in the gospel produces humility so that you can put others ahead of yourself. Faith in the love of God produces love in you for other people. Of course, those are the topics that we have talked about in these past few weeks. And today's topic is that the gospel produces purpose. And the thing I really like about this particular text is, and I think most of them have been this way, but this particular one is clear about how the gospel brings about this different purpose. About what is it about believing the good news of Jesus Christ, what is it about that that actually changes someone? And so before before I start nerding out about that, I I don't want you uh, to assume, I don't want to assume myself, that everyone recognizes the problem we're going to talk about. The problem really is that we have lost a sense of transcendent purpose. The great loss of the modern world and the postmodern world is a loss of transcendence that there's anything out there beyond what you can see. And if there's nothing out there beyond what you can see or what science can tell you, then there is no uh, storyline into which we fit. There's nothing that can make a coherent appeal to anything more than your self-interest. And what you have with the story of God or the gospel, which finds its culmination in the work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection, what you have with the story of God is that God's story gives us a place for us to fit and when we fit in the story that God is telling in the world, it gives us purpose. It gives us a reason to live that you can't find anywhere else. And so, I want to encourage you, take, take your Bibles. We'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ the righteousness of God. The events of the gospel, what God was doing at the cross and resurrection of Jesus, and the power that was manifest in Christ leads to the result of the gospel, which is to transform us into a different kind of people and to turn us loose as ambassadors for Christ. You see that really beginning in verse 14. The love of Christ controls us. That takes up right where we left off last week, doesn't it? That the love of Christ is the captivating thing in our lives. It's the the controlling, dominant feature of the lives of those who have believed the gospel. That you are loved by Jesus. Let that sink in. Because to be loved by Jesus shapes every decision. It shapes every relationship. Everything in your life is touched by that one central truth. Jesus loves you. And so the love of Christ... Controls us. In other words, we can't do anything, go anywhere, without the love of Christ being the thing that is at the center of the life of a Christian. To think that we could is to miss the Gospel. Because to be loved by Christ means that everywhere we go, everything we do, it is shaped by Christ. And you'll see that as we continue on, that one has died for all. Again, the facts of the gospel. Jesus died for all who sin. Jesus died for all, therefore all have died. And what he's doing here, when the love of Christ controlling us and Christ died for all, it says that he, he died for all, therefore all have died. Now, okay, I'm looking at you. You look pretty healthy, I'm going to say. At least alive. Maybe I won't give you quite so much credit. Okay, I feel alive too. What's he talking about here when he says all have died? For he died for all, so that therefore all have died. What he means here is that when you believe the gospel, when you trust what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, what he means there is that you then participate in the death of Christ. And so with Christ, You have all died. In other words, you have died to that old life. You have died to that former way of thinking. You have died to what Paul calls in other places the flesh. In fact, he he uses it down in verse 16. And so you have died, whether you realize it or not. And then says, you have died for he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The, the glorious thing is you don't simply participate by faith in the death of Jesus but also in his resurrection. So, I mean, sometimes you would look at maybe uh, Romans 6 as you talk about baptism. You are, we are buried with him in baptism and raised to new life. That's what he's talking about here. There is this new life that belongs to Christians, this new identity. God is making himself, for himself, a people. This is what the gospel does. The gospel doesn't tell you, believe, <laughs> believe in the gospel and go to heaven, and then get busy and do better, be a better person. The gospel says you are now a new person who, in fact, lives a different way. It's an identity. You, I, don't know if, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've been, I uh, shall I say, like my family, we have been binge-watched some crime and detective shows, I'm just going to say, over these past 16 months. And we have ran across more than one person who was in some sort of witness protection program. Uh, sometimes these people in the Witness Protection Program will have a death certificate printed in their old name. And then they have had new IDs issued with a new name and they've been moved to a different place and they have a completely different life. This is sort of like that. Okay? It's not a secret. So that's, that's the difference. Okay? What, what Jesus had done for you is no secret. He's not trying to protect you or keep you uh, from being found out. But rather, the old life is closed down in that same way, and a new life is opened in the same kind of way. So that you now relate to the world as a different kind of person. That's what he's talking about. When he's talking about dying and then living for him. Because now you identify with the risen Savior, so your life is not the same anymore. Okay, It's like he's trying several different ways to express the same truth, that you are a different person when you trust the cross, when you trust Jesus and his work on the cross. He says, then, we don't view people according to the flesh. We don't view people according to... To the flesh. And see, that's one of the things that we struggle with, isn't it? We, re- we do regard people according to the flesh. We regard people, we look at people, and immediately we make decisions about them. Okay? We make decisions about w- whether they're wearing a mask or not. We make decisions whether, um, whether they're male or female. We make decisions about uh, how, what kind of car they drive. We look at them and we regard people according to the flesh whether we mean to or not. That's the natural default. In this this is a hint now of a new identity, which says that's not the way you look at people anymore. Now you're looking at people, not just naturally, but you esteem them like God would esteem them. You would see them like God sees them. Now that you've trusted Christ, you are looking at people differently. Because we'll see in a moment that this new identity gives us a new um, activity. That we become new people with a new purpose. And when that happens, we can't be the reconciler that God wants us to be if we're stuck on all of these other Things. We're making decisions about people from the standpoint of how they appear. Or say it another way, if you don't see people in the way that God sees them, you won't be able to reconcile them to God. And so, he wants us to recognize there is a new identity. There's not just that new identity, but there's a new outlook, so you're seeing the world in a different way. Now, to make it most clear, look at verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What the gospel does is it places you into Christ. It, it unites you to Christ. You live your, your new life with Christ. Everything about your life is defined now by Jesus. And what that means is that you are now a part of this new creation. If you are in Christ, you get in, you get in Christ by your faith in the gospel. See, that again, this is the mechanism by which this works. You, you say, I do believe Jesus died for me that my, he took my sins, in fact, it says as much in this text, um, it, it, so that he, God wouldn't count my sins against me. I believe that. I'm counting on that. When you count on that, you're believing the gospel. When you believe the gospel, God unites you to Jesus. So that the defining thing about your life is now the fact that you belong to Jesus or you are in Christ. When you are in Christ, that's when things change. You are anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And it's since it's kind of it's interesting because it, there's a few words that are supplied here. If you were going to make a literal translation, it would be if anyone is in Christ, new creation. Not he is, not she is, not they are. No pronouns there. If anyone's in Christ, new creation. And we all like scratch our heads like, well, that doesn't even make sense, right? But what he's saying is to be in Christ is to be a participant in what God is doing in the world as he is making all things new. As he is bringing about this remaking of creation so that it no longer groans waiting for the redemption, the ado- or the adoption, the redemption of our bodies, uh, Romans chapter 8. Instead, this new creation is what God is doing in the world so that one day when we are in his presence fully formed in this new creation, there will be a new heavens, new earth, and everything will be made new. That's what God is doing, and he's starting in Christ. And then he's bringing people who believe the gospel into what Christ is doing in the world. Okay, If you want to use Jesus' words for it, which is not a bad idea, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This kingdom of heaven is God's way of renewing the world. You might say bringing it, you might say this, bringing it back to what God started with or intended in Eden, only better. And so that's what we're talking about with this new identity. All of a sudden, I am no longer identified by where I live. I'm no longer identified as a Republican or Democrat. I am no longer identified as wealthy or middle class or uh, underprivileged. I am identified with Christ. And I am part of what he is doing in the world to make everything new. So, so it isn't a very big reach, as I talk about it that way, to say, yes, he gives you purpose. Yes, he gives you a different um, a participation in the, the eternal program of God in the world. And so God is doing more than giving you a future hope by and by. He is bringing you into this new creation that he is starting right now. With Christ, the new creation has broken into the world and it has grabbed you as you believe that Jesus died and rose again so that your sins won't be held against you. And so he's making a new people with a new identity in that identity, he does intend that identity to be their primary identity. So that they now are the people of God. Their primary citizenship is the kingdom of heaven. And this new creation that they are part of is infiltrating the world everywhere those new creations go. And that's what the rest of the text is about. Because God's made you part of something new. given you a new identity. He's reoriented everything that you will do from here forward. And he gives you a new purpose. This new people he's made have a new purpose. This new identity you have uh, gives you new activity in the world. Look at verse 18. All this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself... For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And here is the key. This identity drives the activity. Who you are dictates what you do. And that's the right order. This is not this, whatever we're going to talk about in just a moment, about you being an ambassador, or you, you having a message of reconciliation. It's not you came to church this morning and heard you ought to do something different what you what you heard i hope when you come to church is that you are somebody different and because you are somebody different everything about your life takes on a new meaning and a new purpose and that makes you a reconciler i love i love how this i mean what we've tried to do in this gospel series is really just highlight a few of the of the unavoidable glories of being rescued by Jesus. Just sort of bask in it and enjoy the fact that he's given us uh, reconciliation with God. In fact, the, the, the passage that Pastor Travis read a few months ago was the one that we started this whole series on. In the fact that God has reconciled you to himself through Christ. You didn't do it yourself. I mean, every other religion says, you get right with God. God God says, I'm going to give my son get right with you. Okay, that's the only way it's going to happen, is if God takes initiative. And when he does that, the thing that it does is that then all of a sudden we become reconcilers ourselves. This reconciliation we receive comes with a ministry of reconciliation. And a message of reconciliation. So much so that in verse 20 it says that we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. What, is an, what does it mean that, that you're part of your identity now in this new kingdom? in this new creation. What does that mean that you are an ambassador? Well, among other things, it means that you are not a citizen of the country you live in. I want you all to breathe for a second and let that sink in. That you are fundamentally, by this relocation into the new creation, into the kingdom uh, of heaven, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of of, of his son, You are no longer a citizen of the country in which you live, fundamentally. Being an ambassador means that you have authority from your king. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said, isn't it? All authority is given to me on heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't matter what nation you end up in. If you end up, you know, on the corner of a neighborhood in Wilsonville or Camby, that's great. That's the nation he happened to send you to. And you have his authority to represent the kingdom of heaven because you're an ambassador. Which means... You don't get to act on your own. You are acting now on behalf of the kingdom of heaven. Your attitude, your yard, your complaining, your whatever, fill in the blank, is now a reflection of the kingdom of heaven. Because you have been given... This ministry of reconciliation, you are now the ambassador on your street at your work for the kingdom of heaven. Talk about an amazing commission from the king of kings. That's the way that he, in fact, the very text says this, right? That, what does that mean? That's how God is making his appeal. God is not making his appeal from some, um, I don't know, stadium crusade. Okay, that's so 80s, right? Or 40s or whatever. He's not making it from an internet apologist. He is making it through you and through me. The other thing it means when you're an ambassador, An ambassador implies going. You don't like stay home and be an ambassador to anybody because that's not what an ambassador is. They they relocate. They go. And see, one of the things that that this whole season has meant, I think, to the church of Jesus Christ, not just to New Life Church, is that the Church of Jesus Christ has long enjoyed favor in our culture, and we think that if we do it right on a Sunday, they will come. And that worked for some churches, and that's kind of why everyone sort of thinks that. But the reality is, that's not God's way. God's way is not, have them all come. God's way is, have you all go have you all go be those ambassadors in the in your workplaces in your neighborhoods that's the work that god is doing here this message or ministry of reconciliation is exactly what we have talked about all along at new life church where uh, you know, we talk about uh, engaging people who are disconnected from God. That's what this is. You are an ambassador, connecting with people who are disconnected from God, and, and taking initiative to represent your kingdom and to invite them in. And that's that's how God makes His appeal. That's how God makes His appeal. Be reconciled to God. And then I love that he circles back. Just in case you feel guilty. Because the pastor this morning said you need to be an ambassador. And you know that you know you're an introvert and COVID's been your dream, right? Where you don't have to talk to anybody. And in case you feel guilty about that, I just want you to realize that he circles back to the gospel, doesn't he? In verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It it is first and last a work of God. It is first and last the gospel. It is first and last good news. So that it's not fundamentally your behavior, not your trying harder, not your doing better, not your pulling yourself... Up by your bootstraps saying, I'm going to be a better Christian today. That is so anti gospel. (laughs) What we've been talking about this whole time is that God is at work in you to change you as you believe of all that Jesus has done for you, as you believe that He gives you a new identity. He pulls you in a different direction. He gives you a new outlook on the people around you. We don't view them according to the flesh any longer. And he places you in strategic outposts in this world where they need an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. So that you then can simply reflect the gospel that it's said so clearly there in verse 21 that Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the good news. Righteousness does not come because you're a better ambassador than me. Righteousness comes because you trust Jesus. And so, I want you to see chapter 6, verse 1, because that really is Uh, the urgency of it, right? Working together with him. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Working together with him. That's what the great news is, is that not only do you receive the gospel and get a new identity, anything you do after that, you do in his power. You do with his energy. You do because God is the one that ultimately makes the appeal. Yes, he makes it through you, but ultimately it's God making his appeal. We are we have the privilege of working together with Him. And then, in verse two, just so you are sure that um, this is not something to put off, he says now. Nah, in a favorable time I listened and in the day of salvation I told behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you have not been reconciled to God, then allow me to make the appeal. God making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. There's nothing you can do to make that peace with God. He has done everything necessary in Christ. All you have to do is embrace it and say, yes, that's for me. That's what I need. And now is the day. Now is the day. I do hope that for you, these past few weeks have been an encouragement as we've looked at the good news and talked about the gospel. I think there's a chance, as I've tried, we've tried to articulate this over and over and over, that the gospel produces uh, peace with God or reconciliation with God. It produces humility. It produces love. The gospel is at work in us. It's the power of God for salvation. We've, we've tried to talk about some of the outcomes of believing this because the, the gospel is the means by which those happen. And I think it's possible, even with all of that trying, that you could still uh, take this and say, it sounded a lot like do to me, Pastor, things I need to do. And I just want you to know that the gospel brings a new way of being in the world. That's what you're believing when you believe Christ, is that he makes you into a new person, that be is different than do. And so it's my hope that you will trust him in a way that enables uh, you to be changed by him. And you'll find yourself in conversations in your neighborhood or work or with your physical therapist, as the case may be, that have to do with the gospel. And you'll surprise yourself because you're a different kind of person, made new by faith in the gospel. And I will just say one other thing. Okay, we talked about 50 days of delighting in Jesus together here for the gospel. And I'm just going to say, we did that simply to trick you. We have no intention of 50 days being all that we talk about the gospel. Because that really is, it, we just wanted to focus on it in such a way that's like, yeah, there's more there than we could ever talk about in 50 days. I don't, I don't want to be over it. I don't want you to be over it. And my hope is that it will continue uh, its work in your life to make you into a new creation, to make you into the people of God so you have a new activity and you have a new purpose. Oh, great God and Father, we are humbled. <laughs> we are humbled that you would make your own son, you would treat your own son as though you were a sinner so that you might treat me as though I'm righteous. Oh, Father, what a glorious and unexpected and undeserved um, Grace. Father, would you you help us all just to continue to uh, let that just marinate in our souls that we might begin to take on some of the flavor of the grace that we've received. And the flavor of the grace that we received, Father, would you then just let that ooze out into the lives of our families, the lives of other people, so that as recipients of grace, we might become dispensers of grace. And that we might represent the kingdom of heaven in all of its joy and in all of its glory. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.